With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon, everyone. This is Ted Hart, and I'm live here on the Nonprofit Coach. Coming to you from the nation's capital, today is Tuesday, March 29th. We have a very special show for you today. I'm very, very honored uh, to have Paulette Myhara from AFP on uh, page one for the show today. And then we're going to be going right into an in-depth discussion about the 2011 Think Tank on Fundraising, Regulation, Ethics, and Philanthropy, also hosted by AFP. We've got two terrific experts on this topic who helped put together that think tank. Audrey Kinsey and Janice Galpetti are our guests today on the Page 2 Experts. Uh, don't forget that you have the opportunity to call in today and ask questions of our Page 2 Experts by dialing 347-324-3080. Also, you can dial, you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com, or you can join us in the chat room, and I do see people joining us over in the chat room. Now, don't forget, when you dial in at 347-324-3080, you should raise your hand uh, by pressing the number 1 to let me know that you do want to ask a question, because uh, there are a number of people in the switchboard who call in and listen by phone. Here on the Nonprofit Coach, we always start with page one news, so let's get the show started. You can follow along in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. First up here on the radio links today on page one is LinkedIn has surpassed 100 million users. LinkedIn has announced that it has reached this major milestone. The company that was founded in December of 2002 and launched in May of 2003 um, has reached profitability will, and will reach profitability fairly soon and is growing at an accelerated rate. This, of course, is our recommendation of the primary social network site that professionals in fundraising should be using today. Not to say that Facebook is not important, not to say that Twitter is not important, but the listeners here of the Nonprofit Coach know uh, that our top four things that you should be doing online is, first of all, designing a well-designed website that's easy to use, full of unique content about your organization. Second is your GuideStar strategy. Third is your LinkedIn strategy, then followed by Facebook and Jumo. So LinkedIn is right there in the top four. Next here on the radio links at tedhartradio.com, you will find that the IRS 
is offering workshops for small and mid-sized 501c3 uh, organizations. These are held around the country uh, and still coming up here uh, in the United States. You will find that you can register uh, for uh, uh, training workshops with the IRS in Las Vegas, New York, Houston, Billings and Helena, Montana, uh, and Denver, Colorado. You can find the link in the radio links at tedhartradio.com to learn more about these workshops and how you can register uh, for these IRS uh, websites. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we have uh, information uh, about um, the teaching donors how to give using cell phones. This is an excellent article that comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Nicole Wallace always does a great job, and in light of the fundraising for the uh, victims of the uh, Japan tsunami and ensuing uh, tragedies that have come after that, lots of money has been uh, donated online. You can read all about it in this article on how you can help donors learn how they can use their cell phones to make donations. You can find that at tedhartradio.com. Next up here on the radio links for page one news here on the Nonprofit Coach, it's just a little bit of fun. Uh, this comes to us uh, from uh, the HubSpot blog. Uh, and This is actually a cartoon that I thought might be a little bit of fun because we talk a lot about LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and In this cartoon, they're talking about how you make friends in social media and what the different levels of connection might be. And for LinkedIn, uh, the gentleman on the left says, Mike, let's be friends. Well, then Mike, because he's on LinkedIn, says, please submit your resume, two letters of recommendation, and a blood sample. It's a little bit harder to connect with someone on LinkedIn. On Facebook, Mike says, let's be friends. He says, sure, you and I are both friends of Mark, so let's connect. Much lower threshold. On Twitter, he says, Mike, let's be friends. And then uh, his friend, uh, Mike, turns into a robot and says, I am Mike's robot. Your request for friendship has been auto-approved. So different levels of connection for to follow someone on Twitter, to become a friend with someone on Facebook, or to link with someone on LinkedIn. And it's a fun little cartoon, but I think a serious description of what's happening in social media today. Next up here on uh, page one news, uh, we have uh, a description of how you can join our LinkedIn people-to-people -people fundraising group. Now, this has been growing so fast. We already have 1,045 members. These are nonprofit professionals from around the world who want to discuss with you all of the intricacies, details, and strategies related to people-to-people -people fundraising. Well, we always provide this link in our newsletter. If you're not receiving our newsletter, you can sign up for that free at p2pfundraising.org or on our website, tedhart.com. But you can uh, go directly to the LinkedIn registration page at our radio links for today's show at tedhartradio.com. Next up, I want to uh, have the opportunity to talk to a good friend of mine who's just making a big transition in her life, uh, and that is Paulette Myhara, who has been the president and CEO of AFP almost, uh, well, certainly back to the earliest days of my service on the AFP Board of Directors. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Paulette Myhara. Thank you, Ted. How are you today? Well, I'm doing great, and it's such an honor always. You've been on the show a couple of times. You're always a big hit here on the show. Of course, you have a huge membership, and people really care about the work that you do and things that are happening in your life. And the big thing that's happened is your announcement that you're stepping down as president and CEO, uh, and Andrew has been uh, appointed as your successor. So I wanted to have this, uh, I guess, last opportunity. It doesn't have to be the last opportunity here on the Nonprofit Coach, but certainly uh, in light of your stepping down, uh, big celebrations in Chicago of your career as AFP president. wanted to get a chance to chat with you today about what you feel um, has, is the biggest accomplishment uh, that you were able to attain uh, during your tenure as president of AFP. Well, thank you, Ted. Um, I, I think the one thing that's probably had the most significant impact on the fundraising profession, not just 
within AFP, but the profession as a whole, was the development of the International Statement of Ethical Principles, which started in uh, 2007 in Toronto, uh, Canada, where we brought together the heads of the various fundraising associations from around the world. We looked at our existing codes of ethics. Um, we looked at commonalities, differences, and we discovered that we had much more in common than we had differences. Uh, and out of that process, uh, we began to work on an international statement of ethical principles that could be shared and used by any culture, uh, any country, any newly forming fundraising association, and by governments uh, around the world. And today, well, Paul, I'm so impressed that you would uh, choose as one of your major accomplishments as something in the realm of, uh, of ethics. Would you say that, that that has been one of the, the hallmarks of your entire tenure uh, as president? Well, I would have to say yes, because ethics is one of the hallmarks of AFP, and it has been, um, it was one of the purposes for which we were founded, and it is certainly part of our overall purpose statement. Uh, so absolutely, I mean, the, the code has um, has evolved over time, which it should, as any code should. Uh, but I think also the fact that AFP is one of the very few fundraising associations around the world that actually enforces our code. Yeah, and I think that is important. It just came up for me yesterday. I was doing a telephone conference with a client that we do each month called Open Call Monday, uh, where we have various clients that uh, can call in and get advice. And one of the things that came up was uh, this one particular uh, group had some money and they had the ability to hire for the first time their, their first fundraiser. Uh, and they didn't know how to do that. They didn't know where to go. And one of the things that I told them was to make sure that they hire someone who is a member of AFP and can show that they have signed uh, the AFP Code of Ethics as just one level of protection uh, to an emerging charity that really doesn't know much about fundraising. That was very good advice, Ted. Um, it's certainly the advice that I give to newly forming uh, charities or those that are you know, just beginning to grow and looking to hire fundraising staff. Uh, and obviously the other piece of that is how they compensate those fundraising staff and making sure that um, they understand that the AFP code prohibits percentage-based compensation, and most importantly, why we prohibit it. Paulette, for our listeners today, can, can you please share, because that is one of the things that distinguishes AFP, and it's probably one of the biggest topics that comes up when anyone discusses um, AFP membership. Why is that so important? It's been in the code uh, for a very long period of time. Why is that important to AFP and its membership that that remain in the code? Well, the, the kind of cliff note version of the um, white paper that we have on percentage-based compensation is as follows. Um, the nonprofit sector exists for public good. The for-profit sector is, it exists for personal gain, and it, whether it's a stockholder or a employee of a corporation, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those purposes. Uh, however, in the nonprofit world, when you compensate a non a nonprofit professional based on what they will raise, you run the risk of putting the personal gain or the individual's um, best interest ahead of the donor and the institution or the nonprofit. Uh, and and so for that reason, AFP prohibits uh, percentage-based compensation. Well, and, and, and that is something that, that distinguishes, and as you know, Paulette, um, uh, as we get to page two today here on The Nonprofit Coach, our topic is uh, your think tank, which is your final think tank uh, as uh, president and CEO of AFP uh, was uh, related to this issue of regulation, ethics, and philanthropy. I'm just wondering, in the few moments that we still have left together, and again, it's such a thrill to have you here on page one for the nonprofit coach, uh, is um, what did you, is there anything that you feel maybe was not quite accomplished or something you still would have done if uh, if you had uh, more time as president? Oh, that's, 
that that's a question I think that will require a lot more time, Ted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, you um, know, I. There are many challenges that lie ahead for the fundraising profession, uh, but what I think I can say is that AFP is very well positioned to address those challenges, meet them head on, and um, and succeed. Well, talking about success, Paula, um, during your tenure, uh, AFP uh, dramatically grew its membership, uh, both in numbers of chapters and in straight-line uh, membership. Uh, how was that done? And, and uh, obviously there's nothing uh, that anybody can say uh, is, is not a good thing about that, uh, but why is that significant to the future of the organization? Could a smaller organization succeed as well as the large one that you've built? Well, of course, a smaller one can succeed, and there are smaller niche organizations, as you well know, uh, in the fundraising space. Um, I think what's significant about the size and scope of AFP is the reach that we have, um, and a stronger or a larger membership provides a stronger voice. Uh, and it is powerful when you were speaking to governments, um, not just in the United States, but in Canada and around the world. Uh, and and I believe that we we can set the standard by virtue of the fact that we have the numbers behind us. And and that really does turn the head of uh, of, of folks in government, as you said, uh, and others who look to the nonprofit sector and really don't understand the work that we do. So it is almost um, strength in numbers, is it not? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, the numbers tell a dramatic story, and it does make a difference when you're talking to a donor or a government official or a media uh, person. When you say, you know, 30,000 people are signing this document or adhering to these standards, that makes a huge impact. I'm wondering, Paulette, um, if uh, just as a, as a final statement here, if you can reflect on your tenure as president of AFP, and would you say that there is uh, a lot of difference in the fundraising um, as, as fundraising is perceived by donors from when you first became president to now that you're departing? I would say that the presence of the fundraising profession has grown significantly, uh, both in terms of the donor. I think uh, more, more organizations uh, recognize that fundraising is a profession today, um, and donors, I believe, for the most part, um, respect opinions of the fundraising professionals they may work with. Uh, and, and so I, I think the, the entire public recognition of the profession is 10 times greater today than it was 13 years ago. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree, Paulette. This has been uh, a wonderful tenure of uh, 13 years of service that you've provided to AFP. We all celebrate the wonderful uh, uh, work that, uh, that you have done. What comes next for Paulette Myhara? <laughs> well, I hope to spend a lot more time on the golf course um, and um, improve my golf handicap. That's a number that I really seriously need to work on. Uh, and I will do some public speaking from time to time. But um, I do plan to, you know, kick back and, and take it easy uh, and enjoy not being on an airplane every five minutes. <laughs> well, Paulette, you always uh, have a home here on the Nonprofit Coach as, uh, as you uh, look forward to things that you may do and you have topics that you want to uh, share with the, uh, the nonprofit uh, professionals. Uh, please consider us friends here at the Nonprofit Coach and come back and see us real soon. Thank you, Ted, and uh, thank you for your friendship these many years. It's been a great pleasure, and I um, will look forward to, to talking to you again. You bet. You bet. Thank you for coming here. I'm the nonprofit coach, the now former uh, president and CEO of um, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Paulette Myhara, a good friend of the nonprofit coach. Uh, next up here on uh, the nonprofit coach, we have another friend, uh, someone who has 
worked hard to understand and measure uh, the impact of overhead expenses uh, in the nonprofit sector. Uh, it's my pleasure uh, to uh, bring here on to the nonprofit coach uh, Jeffrey Schmidt, who is senior manager of Barnes Denning and Company. Jeffrey, are you here with us live on the nonprofit coach? Hi, Ted. Yes, thanks. Hey, Jeffrey, uh, we have in the radio links today for our listeners uh, a link uh, to your uh, report on measuring overhead uh, and its impact. Can you give us uh, just a brief summary of that? And then, of course, we'll direct folks to go and read about this. I, I understand that this was uh, uh, comes to us from a LinkedIn poll that you and your firm did. Uh, yes, correct, Ted. You know, it's, it's one of those things you hear a lot about and, you know, we're in the business of producing financial statements, and um, it's often the question of what do those statements tell you, and you're being judged by the numbers those produce. Um, and, and so, you know, being judged by donors and, um, you know, other charity watchdogs uh, on the amount of overhead you produce and what are you doing with that overhead. So we thought we would ask the question and, and see, you know, are there polarizing opinions one way or the other, um, it, what amount of overhead is too much and, and what seems to be the right amount. And so um, the response was somewhat mixed at first, but I think, you know, the results proved that, uh, you know, nearly three-quarters um, of the respondents say that, yes, indeed, you should be judged on that on that percentage. And it's a measure of impact on the organization, but not by itself. You need to have other measures um, to to gauge, you know, your performance and what you're accomplishing within the community. That's a, that, that it's such an important study that, that that you've done. What do you think the the, the most important insight that you uh, that you got, and, and how successful do you think it is to do research like that on LinkedIn? <clears throat> well, I think LinkedIn was a good tool because it's it's a it's sort of a focused area where you can you can go straight to the straight to the source. Um, as far as, you know, the strategy was to approach um, LinkedIn groups such as BoardSource and the Chronicle of Philanthropy and United Way um, and, and get the, the opinions of those folks who are participating in those groups. So, um, you know, what's the opinion of the people that are using this? Um, you know, and I think what you'll find is the argument comes, you know, well, who who's forcing you to uh, be measured? And, it, and like you know, like I said before, it is sort of you know the guide stars, the the charity navigators that's in the Better Business Bureau set set the threshold for the most part, you know. And can organizations well, meet these expectations? To them. So, so this is an attempt to understand the the bigger picture and to draw that uh, attention to our colleagues. Is that correct? Well, correct, because we want to we want to meet expectations. But I think what we've seen in the nonprofit world is that we we manage the expectations, and often what we do is, you know, we delete resources or we neglect certain areas of the organizations in order to meet those expectations, you know, such as spending on, uh, you know, infrastructure, for instance. Um, you right. know, and it kind of perpetuates the cycle because um, since we're able to operate that in that way, the expectations for the funders is that we're going to continue operating that way. Well, we learned uh, from you, Jeffrey Schmidt, that it is important to measure overhead and to understand the impact on our organizations. Uh, thank you for doing this poll on LinkedIn, bringing it to us here on the Nonprofit Coach. As I mentioned to our listeners, we have provided a link uh, to your blog today at tedhartradio.com in the radio links, and I hope you'll keep us posted of uh, future research projects that you do and bring them right back here uh, to the Nonprofit Coach. Great. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Jeffrey Schmidt, Senior Manager, Barnes, Denning & Company, and you can find his link and contact information at tedhartradio.com. We are inching ever closer to page two today. Our big page two topic today is the 2011 Think Tank on fundraising, so don't forget you can call in and ask questions of our experts today at 347-324-3080. Press the number one after you dial in to raise your hand and let me know that you'd like to ask a question. 
You can also ask a question over in the chat room. I see folks are arriving over in the chat room. And you can also email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Last thing that I have up here, uh, you'll find over in the radio links, uh, several webinars that I want to draw your attention to. A couple of them I'm going to be part of. Uh, and so I obviously urge you to, uh, to sign up if you're interested in getting more in-depth on some of these topics than we're able to do here on the radio show. The first one is social media fundraising, e-governance, and more, highlighting the Internet Management for Nonprofits book, and that's April 6th. That's a free webinar, and you can find the link for that uh, at tedhartradio.com in the radio links. Again, that's Wednesday, April 6th. 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. I also want to draw your attention to another webinar. This one I'm not part of, uh, but one that I do want to draw your attention to as it is hosted by MarketingSherpa.com and Click Mail Marketing. And this is how to improve your email effectiveness, five ways to maximize your email results. This is going to be the next day on April 7th from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern, and you can register for that also uh, at tedhartradio.com in the radio links. And keep in mind, they do limit their uh, uh, Marketing Sherpa webinars to 1,000 attendees. Sounds like a lot, but it does go quick. So if you're interested, make sure that you register early. Then we have the big uh, webinar that we, we want to give you plenty of advance notice for, uh, and that is building a powerful board that can fundraise. There is a fee for this uh, because it's a, a much more in-depth uh, approach that we're able to give, and that's Monday, May 2nd, uh, and that's 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Central. You can register for that. Again, the link is at tedhartradio.com in the radio links. That's what I have for you here on uh, page one. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Uh, as always, following page one comes page two. <laughs> It is uh, very not all that common that AFP hosts uh, a think tank on research as part of its uh, uh, service to the profession. Uh, the, uh, uh, the folks over at the Association of Fundraising Professionals uh, this year in February, uh, February 3 and 4 in Orlando, hosted the 2011 Think Tank on Fundraising, Regulation, Ethics, and Philanthropy. It is my pleasure today to uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Audrey Kinsey and Janice Gallopetti, who are part of the, the uh, planning for that session and are today going to share with us some of the findings and the outcomes of of, uh, that think tank. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Thanks so much, Ted. It's oh. great to be with you this morning. Great, great. Uh, now, I'm, I'm wondering, do I have both Audrey and Janice? We've got Audrey. I've got Audrey. I'm not sure that, uh, that Janice did make it on. I, I only saw you, Audrey, on the switchboard, so I'll continue to watch the switchboard to see if Janice is able to join us today. But I'm thrilled to have uh, you here with us, Audrey Kinsey, ACFRE, Executive Vice President, National MS Society, Minnesota Chapter. So I want to start off, Audrey, by asking you about the genesis of this particular think tank. Uh, AFP has only hosted six think tanks in the last two decades decades, 1995, 99, 2002, 5, 8, and uh, February 3 and 4 in Orlando of this year. So because this is sort of a, a rare occurrence, it obviously takes on a great importance. Uh, so please tell our listeners why this particular think tank is important. Absolutely. Well, you know, really we came to this, and this comes out of the Research Council, which is one of the groups that governs the work of the AFP organization. And the Research Council looks at everything from fundraising effectiveness to the research work that's being done out in the field. We award um, recognition and uh, different sorts of recommendations to scholars. Sometimes it's cash and sometimes it's just support in finding information, helping them gather information for their research work. Um, the Skystone Ryan Prize comes out of the Research Council. And this 
piece, the think tank, as you've mentioned, has a rich history. It's not something we do every year in part because of the expense and in part because we try to cull the information and live with the information from a think tank and then as we move forward with that information, look for what might be the next topic or the next thing that we need to be thinking about. And so in the research council, we really were having the conversation about some of the trends going on in the industry and certainly looking at um, you know, greater scrutiny by the, the federal government and state governments, um, some of the legal issues that have faced nonprofits in recent years, and you know they've been then nu numerous, and then just in general, the the way that we govern ourselves. And I know just recently, just earlier here, we were talking with Paulette about our um, the guidelines that we as practitioners observe. But remembering that everybody that's in this profession is not a member of AFP, that there are people who don't necessarily subscribe to our principles of practice, and how do we raise the bar as, as, as a society? You know, that it's, it's bigger than the fundraisers and it's bigger than the regulators and the, it's bigger than the people in Washington, D.C. or in the state houses. And how do we come together and have a conversation about that so that we can all be working toward that nirvana, that very ethical, donor-based, good, solid fundraising practice um, and that we understand one another because I think sometimes some of the judgments or the misunderstandings from people outside of our industry is that they simply don't know how our our work um, is transacted, how we do the work that we do with donors. So it was coming together to have that conversation and we were right. very Audrey, lucky um, to have. Each of the think tanks that have been hosted have had uh, a different topic and a different focus. Uh, why regulations, ethics, and philanthropy now? Um, is, is, is this a particularly important time for evaluating those? Is there a, a stress in the industry that requires us to reflect on those? Um, why that particular topic now? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Ted, and I, I think that perhaps it is um, that there is a greater stress. I think we're kind of at this I hate to say turning point, but at this crux of, wait a second, we're not all on the same page. You know, we have Senator Grassley convening people, the Blue Ribbon Panel. We had conversations happening in different states, uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, um, different legislative um, thoughts or ways that they should be dealing with nonprofits. And it just seemed like we were, I don't want to say spinning out of control, but we certainly weren't on the same page and having the conversations in a thoughtful manner together. It was kind of he said, she said. And we thought we really ought to take a look at that and talk to some of the folks that represent the legal side of the world and talk to some of the folks that represent the legislative side and see if we can't come together and have a conversation about how we can work together to strengthen the, the sector because I think ultimately at the end of the day that's everyone's goal but how we go about doing that if we're not talking to one another I think sometimes we can get crosswise or we can give an appearance um, that we're not on the same page. I want to get into some of the details and some of the findings that came out of this particular think tank. Before our listeners today, can you sort of set up the, the, the stage here and give some of the, the atmospherics in terms of uh, how many people uh, joined you, uh, joined us? I was honored to be part of uh, this think tank in Orlando. Uh, why Orlando? Just give, give us some of the atmospherics in terms of um, the, the atmosphere that those who were part of this think tank, what was expected of them, uh, and how that came together. And then I want to get into what were the findings. Absolutely, and I want to pull back a little bit from even before um, the, the February timeframe because we did something different this year with the think tank. We tried to make it more accessible to more people, and so we did a lot of the work for the think tank prior to the think tank. So starting as far back as October of last year, we had our first webinar, and I think we had over 100 I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but over 100 sites joined us for a webinar with Rush Kidder. And Rush um, is a, a thought leader in ethics and has numerous publications, uh, most recently his book Moral Courage. And he really took us through thinking about ethics and thinking about the key elements of ethical behavior and you know how do we how do we understand um, when we are ethical and when we are not ethical and really called us to think about um, the fact that we have lived often in thinking about right versus wrong 
and certainly that is, you know, we were raised that way, it's wrong to steal, we shouldn't take from other people, but that there can often be two rights. And for instance, um, in this world that we live in, in philanthropy, a donor may want to give a significant amount of money to, let's say, an animal shelter. And that same donor may be a prospect for a hospital, and the hospital really wants that money to serve the hospital. Neither one of those are wrong. They're both the right thing to be doing. You know, it's the right thing to be supporting a a animal shelter if that's where the donor's passion is. It's a right thing for the donor to be invited to support the hospital. And we we can't judge a donor because of the choice they make. You know, it's not wrong for them to support the and and that's um, you know, it just opened us up to thinking about that there is some gray, that there's definitely black and white, and that's kind of the base, that our code of principles is the base. So we wanted to build from there. We next invited uh, Melanie Leslie, who is a professor at uh, the Benjamin Cardoso School um, and of Law, and really to invite her to talk to us about the tax regulations and the legal elements that we are you know, need to abide by uh, the IRS regulations, the things that are really important, and how that, in fact, has changed in recent years, the new 990s, some of the things that are happening um, as part of the IRS regulations. And then we pulled this all together coming into the think tank, and we actually had uh, Michael DeLucia, who was another one of our presenters, come in, and he formerly was the Director of Charitable Trust for New Hampshire Attorney General's Office, so he was really giving us that side of it and the regulator side and what is a state um, entity people are looking to them to do to regulate the nonprofits and keep the re- nonprofits in check and giving that perspective. But he now serves as a trustee of the Agnes Lindsay Trust, so he also could wear the hat of representing that side and, and understanding the side of the the nonprofit or the or the charitable organization wanting to give money away or do good things. So all of these conversations, these webinars took place, and then we came into this event in February. And I will be honest with you, Ted, weather was not on our side. We had expected about 50 people for the event, and you may remember that weekend as being a a rather blizzard-ridden, crazy weather all over the country kind of event. So we had about 30 people with us live, and a few people joined us on the phone um, and participated in a webinar. But we brought these people together in Orlando to really have this conversation and kind of deconstruct what we heard from these speakers. Um, Melanie and and Mike were actually able to be with us via webinar or via a telephone to be a part of the conference and to have us talk through, so what did we learn? What did we hear? What resonates? What doesn't resonate? And again, most importantly, where do we go from here? What do we need to do moving forward? And uh, it- do you feel that, that, that you were at a disadvantage in not having 50 versus 30, or were you able to uh, get in-depth on these topics as you had hoped? You know, I think certainly I was disappointed that we didn't have the depth and breadth of participation that we had originally um, thought of, but I actually was really excited and I got a lot of positive feedback from individuals who participated in that they felt we were able to get deeper and really to have um, some meaty conversations that don't always happen when you have a larger group, that people were really able to have um, conversations that they felt brought a greater depth of understanding and also challenged them, which is part of why we want to do this. Um, I want to mention one of my colleagues who I think was a really important player in this. He currently chairs the AFP um, Ethics Committee, and that's Dr. Paul Pribineau, and he is the president of Augsburg College in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But he really challenged us um, to think about you know, what is it that we're hearing and how do we take this to that next level? You know, he is the chair of the Ethics Committee, wants the Ethics Committee to be able to move forward with recommendations that not only, again, influence our work as professional fundraisers, but that influence our thinking in a broader context in the community, in the society that we live in. So um, give give us uh, an idea of what is the outcome of a think tank like this? Is there something that's been produced? Is there Are there talking points? How, how does a, a think tank like this uh, wrap up its work? 
Absolutely. Thanks for asking that question, Ted. And a number of things have come out as a part of this. So first and foremost, there's a report. And um, if you contact the um, AFP organization, you can get a copy of the think tank's report on regulation, ethics, and philanthropy. And it's got a lot of great information about what happened, but also then our recommendations. I do want to mention at this point, too, that none of this could have happened without um, the generous support of the Edith Bush Charitable Foundation. Um, and we are so grateful for David Odahowski's participation. He was with us for the think tank and their generous support. They have This is now their second think tank that they have supported. And we're just really grateful to have the partnership in the sector with people who understand the importance of this work and are willing to help us make it happen. So um, there's, there's that element, so I want to just say thank you to that. And to get into the report, I think something that's really exciting and that is important that we share, the Ethics Committee had been working on um, some, some things that they wanted to accomplish, and <clears throat> pardon me, my voice, um, we were lucky enough to hear about what and that is an ethics assessment inventory. And the ethics assessment inventory will make its debut in June of this year. And it's been a process that has been done with the work of the Center for Ethical Business um, out of the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. And what's really exciting about this is it's a tool for a practitioner to use to evaluate their own ethics, their own ethical behavior, their own ethical um, think or, or thoughts about um, certain things. They also evaluate where they believe the ethical behavior of their organization to be so they can measure their ethical stance against their organization's ethical stance and practices. And then they can measure themselves against those that have taken this inventory. So they're looking at other ethical fundraisers or other fundraisers who have participated in this um, this inventory and say, wow, you know, I, I could do some growing in my courage, um, courage being one of the areas um, that uh, is there are six areas, and courage is one of them. And I bring that up because it goes back to our conversation with Rush Kidder, there's this, we know what's right and wrong, but sometimes we don't have the courage to step forward to address the board member who may be asking us to do something um, that we don't believe is the right thing, to address a, a supervisor, a manager, a CEO, to say, you know what, we're not doing this right. We're not accounting for funds right, or we're not spending it correctly. And seeing the behavior and not addressing it is just as problematic as the the poor behavior or the mismanagement existing in the first place. And so really looking at, am I a courageous person? Am I a person that would step up? Um, and Rush asked us to think about that in terms of the threshold of that place with a willing endurance of danger. And you know, losing your job is a danger in today's economy. None of us want to lose our job. But at the same time, do we let go? Do we let unethical behavior exist simply because we're worried about our job? I shouldn't say simply, but because the danger or the, the concern about losing our job is greater than um, taking care of this ethical breach or this potential ethical breach. Because the other thing I shared, and, and I just am back from Chicago where I presented these findings and had a great conversation. We had over 90 people. You know, so the last session of the day, it's late on Monday afternoon. People are just tired. They've been in sessions all day. But we had over 90 people participate in our ethics session um, at the International Conference. And we were really excited about that because they brought some really great energy to this conversation to say, this is important work. Thank you for doing this. I'm going to go back to my organization and, and raise more questions. But one of the things I brought to um, many of those participants was sometimes we don't have all the facts. And a really important thing, um, it, you know, to be somebody who is wanting to practice ethically and to bring ethical practice into their organization is to make sure that you take time to gather all the facts. Sometimes we judge or we see the appearance of a, of a misdoing without having all of the relevant information. And once you get that relevant information, you go, oh, I see. I see why, it, oh, that wasn't a mistake at all, actually. They yeah, there are oftentimes the right more than uh, one side to uh, – 
uh, to a story. Audrey, we're going to take a, a little bit of a station break here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to go through each of the findings uh, uh, quickly the, from the think tank so that our listeners are fully briefed on what this particular think tank of 2011 for AFP uh, was able to pull together on these very important topics. We'll be back in just a moment. For our station break today, uh, as we have for the last several weeks here on the Nonprofit Coach in our partnership uh, with GreenNonprofits.org, we have been assisting them uh, in uh, putting together an outreach uh, for the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. This is sponsored by Santa Fe Aventis. You can register for their newsletter at GreenNonprofits.org and learn how you yourself can, learn, can win a free copy of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. Today, the winner in our drawing for the Nonprofit uh, Guide to Going Green is Tammy Greer. Tammy Greer is with Primetime Palm Beach County in Boynton Beach, Florida. Congratulations to Tammy Greer in winning today's edition of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. If you'd like to uh, join Green Nonprofits or win a copy of this book, join the newsletter at greennonprofits.org. Now back to the show. Audrey, back here to uh, the 2011 Think Tank on Fundraising Regulations, Ethics, and Philanthropy. Um, I understand that there are findings that came out, a summary of all of the work two days of intensive discussions with uh, key uh, uh, thought leaders in our industry. What were the findings, um, either uh, if you can go through all of them, uh, we've got uh, about 12 minutes remaining uh, to, uh, to discuss these topics. So I'm going to let you guide us through either the most significant findings or all the findings. Excellent. Thanks, Ted. Well, so um, we were talking about the inventory before the break, and one of the findings was that not only do we need to have this inventory tool, but that we need to have um, develop additional education resources, um, things like a curriculum, a, a different way of doing case studies. We've always done case studies with here's the code, here's the situation, you know, which piece of the code. And what we want to do is go deeper than that and talk about um, – helping educate people prior to an issue. So really developing that curriculum, um, having some web-based materials that people will be able to access, um, and really having some more nuanced um, information and, and cases and materials so that we can take the conversation deeper rather than that baseline meeting the code. Um, we also talked about really developing some educational resources that could um, help enhance teaching methods so that people who are teaching this have some tools to be more effective, you know, so that we get more people at ethics. Uh, we would see that as a really dry topic and that nobody comes, and it's the least, you know, chapter's joke. It's always our least attended program. Well, that shouldn't be. So we really want to give people tools to develop um, a more in-depth presentation and teaching skills that would really engage people um, better. So that's kind of on the professional side. But um, a couple of things for our nonprofit executives and our board members who really need resources and need to understand kind of the intersection between um, what we're doing and what our partners in, because it's not just about AFP, it's really about the sector, and I can't stress that enough. While AFP initiated this, it's really about the sector. So one of our findings was really to create um, stronger partnerships with like-minded organizations like the independent sector, board source, um, the Association of Governing Boards, and some organizations that we may have worked with, but really we want to develop resources to promote these best practices and to really educate sector leaders, not just our fundraisers, but to get our board members, to get our CEOs, to get executive directors thinking at that, you know, getting them out of the day-to-day, -day, keeping the business running, and to think about the bigger, broader, how do we operate as the most effective, most ethical organization that we can. We also are looking at putting together a campaign. We really want to develop um, a, a campaign that helps AFP members as well as other fundraising professionals um, promote the materials and, and the fact that we have this information so that people can use it at board meetings, in 
you know, where they have public gatherings, um, other nonprofits that may be small and struggling and don't have resources at all or even know the resources exist, but so that we really do kind of a grassroots spreading out the information. Um, and last but not Audrey, least, Audrey, in your really discussions, you've really focused uh, a lot on ethics, and uh, and as you said, one of the findings is uh, making this a little bit more tangible for for membership. Were there any of the the findings that that looked at the regulation side of this think tank, or or did it really become dominated by ethics? I think there was a strong um, ethical dominance because a, a lot of the individuals that participated were very interested in that. But I think we had a, a really good conversation around regulation. And in fact, um, one of the last findings, um, we, when I was just talking about the bigger, uh, wider public, was to really reinvigorate um, AFP's advocacy and public policy efforts so that AFP becomes a go-to source for both the federal, federal and state and even provincial because we are an international organization, um, but that we're the place that people come to when we think about ethical fundraising and public policy and re regulatory requirements. And I think we recognized in the think tank that we have a ways to go there. We're, we're not the, the first call for help, if you will. We're not getting some of those calls that we'd like to be um, called in on and be able to participate in. And, and kind of going hand in hand with that, we intend to develop and launch a highly visible, a very public um, campaign that promotes ethical fundraising and that really um, celebrates that. Unfortunately, what happens is, you know, what makes the front page, and I get it, we all know what sells, we all know what news is all about, right? Um, but we want to highlight the stories of the really amazing, um, wonderfully ethical individuals who've done these amazing things and make that side uh, more concrete and compelling through illustrations, through stories, rather than just saying, you know, you need to be ethical and here's what will happen if you are, the world will be a better place. Really talk about here's the kind of things that happen, here's how our organization worked through a dilemma. Um, I think being more visible to regulators and to those that are making um, the tough decisions in Washington and at our state houses is only going to serve all of us to serve the public better. Um, I think when you don't have information, you know, in that vacuum, you either jump to assumptions or make the best judgment you can based on the limited information you have. And we realize, um, we being those that participated in the think tank and um, our colleagues that, that have since participated through the international conference, have said, you know, we, we have a strong role to play here and we've got to step up and play that role. We've got to be part of the conversation instead of waiting for the conversation to come to us. And it seems like we are most visible when there's an ethical breach rather than being a part of the conversation prior to that time and helping to formulate. Audrey, I'm just wondering, in, in again, the selection of, of this particular topic, is there there's something about the profession right now or the times that we find ourselves in? Did the think tank feel that there is uh, sort of a, an, an ethical lull in our in our profession right now, or imperatives that are, are that are not being reached, or is this just sort of a perennial topic that ought to be discussed? I, uh, great question, Ted. I don't think it's um, necessarily that it was a, a low, but I do think it was we were at a a concerning, or we were at a place where we were thinking, gosh. Um, we need to stop and take note of the fact that there's more negative, it seems there's more negative press or there's more um, questioning of the nonprofit sector than there has been previously. I think some of the work that was done by the Blue Ribbon Panel, which was great work, I mean, um, fabulous, but it kind of, after the Blue Ribbon Panel, I don't, I, and I don't want to. I don't want to speak ill of anyone. It was great work that they did, but you know, where's the implementation of that? How do we make sure that we continue to have that conversation? And we just felt like we can't be pointing fingers. We're the ones that have to say, hey, wait a second, let's continue the conversation. How do we, as people in the sector, keep? having the conversation and keep making ourselves look to the next bar, to that better place, instead of, you know, being happy with status quo or saying, well, we're doing okay and there doesn't seem to be any big problem right now. That's not really an okay, to, an okay way to operate. We really need to be pushing ourselves to say, so how do we do better? I mean, still today we see, you know, stories in the newspaper about this organization or that organization. Um, I, I was hoping Janice would be on the call with us because she got a, re a call from a reporter wanting her input on the situation at the um, London School of Economics and the gift from 
Muammar Gaddafi's son, and you know, do they they they'd already accepted the gift, but now that with things going on um, in Libya, as they are, is this the time to give back the gift? And the dean of the school stepped, you know, and we're starting, we're having these conversations, but again, we have the conversation after the gift is accepted, and it becomes, you know, that would have been a great conversation to have before they accepted the gift, and maybe they did. Again, this would be a place where I wouldn't want to place any judgments. I don't have all the facts, and that was kind of what Jana said to the reporter: is, you know, gosh, I. I you know, only hearing, you know, at this point the, the dean has stepped down. I mean, you're, it's a news story to you now because this has happened, but there's a lot of facts we don't have. They may very well have had a very intensive conversation before they accepted the gift. We simply don't know. But when there are questions out there lingering like that, it leaves the public to go, oh, those darn fundraisers, or you know, and, and again, and I think that's where we, when we said uh, we needed to do this think tank, we really wanted to bring thought leaders together to say, we're as concerned as you are, concerned because we believe that the donor's best interest is at the center for us, but gosh, we don't seem to be having those conversations jointly. We seem to be having those conversations outside of one another and then kind of throwing barbs at one another, you know, gosh, you need to do a better job of reporting or, you know, Senator Grassley saying right. nonprofit. Well, Audrey, I, I wonder to, to that point, um, is there a serious interest uh, in this topic in the, the sector or is it just uh, when we're, we tend to become a, a punching bag uh, or a topic of conversation because of a lapse that it becomes an interest? In, in, in other words, is, is there a set of, of moral issues uh, or ethical issues that you feel the average uh, fundraiser does face on a daily basis that you could, you know, in a couple of minutes give some advice on, uh, or is this situational? Is is this the sort of thing that we end up talking about after the fact um, because it, it, on a daily basis they're not that real? Uh, you know, I think that it's a great question, and I think we have been – we, being AFP and ethical, you know, fundraisers, have been very um, concerned about this. And I mean, this ethics has been the topic of the think tank in previous years. I think really the reason that we went this step to say regulation, ethics, and philanthropy was because we felt like, yeah, we're having this conversation with ourselves, and and that's not good enough. And even the conversation that we're having with ourselves is not deep enough. So it's it's not okay just to talk about code. How do we go to that next place? I think each and every day, I mean, and I'm, you know, I can't, let's say each and every week, because I, I don't think I have an ethical dilemma every day at work, but as a practicing fundraiser, you certainly will have things come your way, whether it's a, a board member who wants to make a gift that, um, you know, he wants to, to have the stock held over, he knows there's, you know, the, the people are asking us to do things that might be in the gray, might be totally in the black and so fundraisers are constantly having to check themselves and say gosh this is a board member you know do I do what the board member wants or do I know what is the right thing how do I tell the board member the right thing and what's so great is you know there there is this ethics committee there is a place that you can go and you can ask questions of you can get support we want people to understand that we want people to understand that there are some tools now and we intend to have more tools in the future because this is the hard part of our work it's easy when it all works well when you have a wonderful donor who gives you a, a check and the check is you know good money and when i say good money it hasn't come from drugs and it hasn't come from you know gambling or some illicit sort of activity you know it's it's, it's a, the kind of gift that we all celebrate it's hard when it's a gift that is maybe coming from, you know, somebody in town who doesn't have the best reputation. And do you take that gift? And if you don't take that gift, how do you, you know, manage the relationship with the donor? How do you message that? You know, there's there's a lot of elements to it. And I think that's the heavy lifting. That's the stuff that we wanted to talk about in this think tank and that we, that we realize we still don't have all the tools that we need for practitioners and we want to deepen that tool box and we want to go well beyond just practitioners we want to go out into the sector and get our CEOs and get our board members we want to get donors we want everyone to really understand we're in this together um, and that we're only as strong as our weakest link Audrey I cannot thank you enough for coming on the nonprofit coach today briefing us on the important work of the 2011 think tank on fundraising regulations ethics and philanthropy as we heard from the outgoing president 
Paulette Mahara on page one of today's show. This is a benchmark um, that she's proud of, of her tenure as AFP president. And I know that uh, we're all very pleased uh, to know that uh, you are remaining involved uh, with this topic. Audrey Kinsey, ACFRE, thank you for being our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. Thank Thank you so much, Ted. It's been my great pleasure. I really appreciate your allowing us to be a part of the show and to share this information. I do want to say that um, anyone listening, anybody that has information or wanting to know more about what we've done or get involved, please feel free to email me at akinsey at mssociety.org. I'm happy to have you join the list of, I had probably a dozen people come up after the presentation in Chicago. There's great interest in continuing this conversation, and so I look forward to being able to share with you some of the work that we do going forward forward. This is, this is merely Absolutely. the Absolutely. And, uh, and in our radio links today, we did uh, provide a link to the background material and the PowerPoint presentations from uh, the 2007E uh, think tank on ethics and regulation. Again, Audrey, thank you so much for being with us today. I hope that this does uh, uh, continue the dialogue and allow uh, your group to uh, get an even wider audience to the important work that you are doing. We'll be right back here next week, uh, Tuesday, for uh, the uh, Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Don't miss uh, uh, next week's big show, uh, 12 noon Eastern. We'll be right back here. Thank you. Have a great week. place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details